Hello, coffee shoppers. I'm Oregon Music News Editor Tom D'Antoni, and this week's Coffee Shop Conversation coming to you as usual from World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland. Went up on the podcast on Thursday, February 19th, the first day of the Portland Jazz Festival. You can hear all of the festival jazz conversations right here on the OMN podcast. Matter of fact, you can hear the last four years' worth of them right here also. With me in the coffee shop is guitarist, composer, and educator Dan Balmer, who has had a long, interesting career playing all kinds of jazz and some jazz that the jazz fleas didn't want you to think was jazz. Next time, we'll be talking with Rebecca Sanborn, and then in the weeks to come, Courtney Vondrelli, Anessa, and Andrew Paul Woodworth. Let's talk to Dan Ballmer. Welcome to the cupping room. Wow, thanks. This, this is the cupping room. I've never been in here, but it's cool. We don't know what the cupping room is. No. We don't know what it means, no. but it has to do with coffee. I can feel that. There have been many, there have been other people who have had other theories. Oh. But no, it's, no. it is not some kind of Chinese healing thing. No. 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 Uh, <laughs> I could use that, too. <laughs> you are, uh, what they say, uh, how do they say, peripatetic, aren't you? I don't know. You have to tell me what that means. I should know. It means you're constantly on the go. Yes. Exactly. Ah, and here comes your sandwich. Oh, thank you so much. And now we can all hear Dan Balmer eat lunch. I'm going to be careful when I eat this. I'm going to be very careful. (laughs) Um, Move the mic away every time. (laughs) All right. So that means that you're always on the go and uh, not – because of your career and because of how many kids do you have? Oh, now he's got I have two kids. He's, they, no, you are he, ten and thirteen. Ten and thirteen. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's the high point of my life. Is it? The sun and the moon. Ah. Well, that's good. Yes, I feel that's very good. blessed. What are they like? Are they like well, you? First of all, are they like you? I think if you combined them, they are. Um, I'd like to think they're smarter, uh, better, <laughs> kinder, more well-adjusted, more talented. I have a 13-year-old who plays the piano. Really? And he's a very gifted musician. Huh. And, and uh, I always tell people if there's one thing I know, it's whether or not people are gifted or not. And yeah. he is gifted. He has perfect pitch. Wow. Which is fairly rare. Yeah. Although, and and and, uh, and and he's not excited about playing jazz piano, and he plays classical piano because he's a good boy, and he's a good classical piano player, and he uh-huh. enjoys it and gets a lot out of it. Uh-huh. And we all get a lot out of it, having this beautiful music around the house. Yeah. And uh, um, and he works on it, but he doesn't do it with passion, but he does it. What is his musical passion? Well, he listens to a lot of hip hop and rap. Uh-huh. You know, it's groovy. You're young. Yeah. It's yeah. understandably loves Eminem. Yeah. Is that right? You know, yeah. Not a lot of keyboards in that. Uh, well, it's all computers, so in a sense, it's true. all keyboards. True. But, uh, true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but he's young. We'll see. Whatever he wants to do. I mean, being a musician is so uh-huh. hard these days. It's not really a very viable career path. So uh-huh. I don't really mind that he's not like dead set on being a musician. Aha. Uh-huh. When I was growing up, being a musician was. A realistic career path for many more people than it is now. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, you know, last week we I, I did one of these things with uh, the singer songwriter Pilar French, mm-hmm. who is also a lawyer. 
Right. Well, yeah. that's, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> you wish you had done that? Uh, no. You know, my brother Tom is the Chief Justice of the Oregon Supreme Court. Uh -huh. And he often would say to me, I'd say, Tom, should I go to law school? He'd go, oh, God, Dan, don't be a lawyer. <laughs> and he's the most important lawyer in the state. So that was his opinion. Oh, God, we don't need another lawyer, Dan. Oh, you don't want to do that. So, no, I don't wish I had been a lawyer. I, I've, I've often thought about, you know, if I, you know, I went out to Nike a time or two when I knew people out there just mm -hmm. to sort of sniff around. And almost anybody I ever met said, Dan, you should play music. You know, you, yeah. You're, you know, you. there's recently been a video that's up on YouTube that Lewis and Clark students did of me. A documentary mm -hmm. film me at all my gigs and, and film me talking and and I it starts off with they take these clips where I say look at I've looked when I've gone to work going to work has been the high point of my day every day for the last 35 years and the rest of my day has been good it's not like <laughs> oh sadness and drudgery and now I'm getting to go play music it's like there's my boys there I'm hanging out uh -huh. throwing the baseball and now I'm going to play with Mel Brown I'm going to play with the Dan Balmer Trio. Or yeah. I'm going to play with Trio Septonic. Or I'm yeah. going to play with Go By Train. So I've loved being a musician, and because I'm peripatetic, <laughs> I've been able to make a, a good living at it. So between teaching at Lewis and Clark, where I teach the jazz combos, and many private students, teaching private students at home, uh, and as we were just talking about, including Chuck Israels, yes. the great bass player, and other notable uh, students. I can't imagine what it's like to, to teach Chuck Israels. It's fun. There's not many other students who go, yes, well, Dan, you know, I was there when Max Roach got his MacArthur grant, and he said, we're going out to dinner tonight. So we have a lot of good times and a lot of good talks. So uh, it's, uh, it's been a – uh, so I don't – I'm glad I wasn't a lawyer. You know, at the end of the day, yeah. I, I, it might have been interesting to see what it was like in the world of business, but almost nobody I know who does that loves it. Almost everybody I know who loves what they do um, – is uh, in some way self-employed or following some path. Did your parents encourage you to be a musician? Or? Yeah, well, my mother was a piano teacher and my grandmother was uh -huh. a piano teacher. So uh -huh. they and my father was always my father was a political science teacher at Lewis yeah. and Clark. They always you know, would bring friends out and buy the CDs and you know they yeah. always fed pictures up in the house. So yeah, they were very encouraging. I was lucky. Mm -hmm. Other people I know whose parents weren't so encouraging. So, yeah. yeah, that was nice. Yeah, 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 yeah really. So you, 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 you taken what, um, what, how, how, the the lessons that that uh, you learned as a child to, and you can teach your own children. Well, in yeah, that way, in that way, yeah. And and uh, and and uh, so the thirteen year old's a good musician, but he's a good student, and he's a good guy. And the ten year old's really into sports, and I was really into sports. Uh -huh. And the thirteen year old's a better musician than I was, although he may not be a better musician as an adult and the 10 year old is certainly a better athlete than I was and <laughs> go out and watch him play and so yeah. that's great. So what that did you play? Me. I played baseball. I played basketball. What position did you play in baseball? Second base. And second pitcher, ba just like my son. Ah, and I played basketball. I can see that because yeah. the second baseman was, he, he, the second baseman is the guy who's tough as nails. Well, I don't know if I'm tough as no, nails. No, no. Second, that's, that's, that's nice what, you got to be. It's a nice thought. You got to be. Uh, but I loved playing baseball, and I loved uh -huh. playing basketball. I played basketball. We were on, yeah. this, on a team that came in second in the city in eighth grade. We used to play all over the city. And uh, and uh, I didn't play in high school because that's such a big step up. Yeah. Then you're really into it. Yeah. 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 That's a real commitment. Well, yeah. And it's that's a social class in yeah. school. And I was the jocks <laughs> as opposed to the – so, yeah. So my kids are great. They're better than uh, they're better than me at what they do, and they're uh – -huh. 
like I say, they're happier, they're more well-adjusted, they're smarter, they're more popular. That's <laughs> uh, all you can hope for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, uh, so you, how many bands are you in now? Well, I'm You're in, in a lot of bands. You have two, you have two of your own. Well, I have more than two of my own. I have the Dan Balmer Trio, which <laughs> yeah. plays my songbook, The History of My Music. Yep. And, uh, That's you and George Mitchell usually. Yeah. And then I use uh, Michael Rayner lately uh -huh. on drums, but I also use Randy Rolfson and Micah Castle and Carlton yeah. Jackson. Yeah. Uh, then I have Go By Train, which is really a collective with Clay Guyberson, the keyboardist, and myself, and usually Micah Castle on drums, but Randy Rolfson plays yeah. with us. I have a group called Caminos Cruzados that just played at Jimmy Max, and that group is with. Uh, Nat Holskamp on flamenco guitar huh. and Israel Ano on percussion. Huh. And we play all sort of obscure Brazilian music. And that band is, because any band with Israel Ano playing hand percussion is going to be He's, good. you know, he's, he's so under the radar in this town, you know. I mean, musicians know who he is. He's one of those people, kind of like Ward Griffiths, you know, in a way, you know. A percussionist who who is yeah. is a little less under the radar than she used to be, because right. she plays with the quadrophones all the time. Um, and uh, but uh, Israel, uh, he is he is. I mean, you know, the thing is, you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta figure if if uh, their memory is going to is going to use you in, in his band, you know. <laughs> You gotta have something going for you, you know, <laughs> because he doesn't put up with the, you know, anything less. He wants a groove there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, of course, you're in 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 Mel's in Mel's band. I'm in the organ quintet that yeah. plays Thursday at Jimmy Max, and then his quartet that plays Wednesdays yeah. with Tony Pasini and Ed Bennett. Yeah, yeah. And then I play with Trio Subtonic. Which is a good young man. Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, what, what is that collaboration like? Well, it's really fun for me. Actually, it's very fun for me. First of all, it's a good band. Yeah. And uh, the current lineup, Galen Clark on piano, mm -hmm. is a fine pianist and composer. Bill Athens, the bass player, yeah. is really uh, one of my favorite bass players in town. Mm -hmm. um, Bill's great. I use Bill on a lot of duos. I really mm -hmm. enjoy playing with him. Um, and uh, they've been using Russ Kleiner on drums. Uh -huh. Russ is as good as anybody. I mean, Russ is yeah. an amazing drummer. Yeah. He's, he's been in Curtis Salgado's band and Tony sure. Portado, but he could play jazz and read anything and play weird time signatures. So that lineup is good. It's really fun. I mean, they're sort of like Go By Train. I mean, it's a fusion band. Yeah. Only it's a, you know, a little different perspective, and people seem to connect with it. It's... Um, so for me, I mean, that's pretty close to home to play with them. And then yeah. they um, they sort of just give me the ball and say, run. Yeah. You know, they want me to yeah. go. And because, yeah. you know, piano, bass, and drums, or key organ, bass, and drums, if you don't have saxophone, guitar is the next best bet to yeah. to, to really rip with it. And I, I really enjoy the music, and I get a – I mean, that's very fresh to play with them. And we uh -huh. only do it uh, once every two months or so. But that's been a really nice collaboration. I play with a number of singers now and again. I play with Jessica Israel's Chuck mm -hmm. Dodd or some. Yeah. Um, uh, so lots of people call and check in and play and uh, mm -hmm. ask me to play. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other groups that I'm actually uh, 
But you were first known as a fusion player, right? Yeah, that's what I had. And And, you know, that's so weird. I, you know, that is fusion is how a vast amount of people discovered jazz. Yes. Miles Davis went electric. Yes. Mahavishnu came right behind him. Well, And all of exactly. a sudden, boom. Well, and it was really, in my opinion, a lot of it was the – you know, the crossing from rock into pop, yeah. I mean, into jazz, rock yeah. jazz via the guitar. So yeah. all of a sudden it was Mahavishnu Orchestra. It was Al Demiola was a big yes. star. It was yeah. Larry Coriel was big. It was, right. um, uh, uh, and then you guys have Schofield, Mike Stern, yes. all the guys that came along, but a lot yeah. of it was very guitar based yeah. and fusion really got people popular. And as fusion sort of mellowed out into pop jazz, which then, got into smooth jazz and you can talk as bad as you want about smooth jazz, but um, there was a lot of musicians working, playing that a lot of good musicians and uh, they may not be Coltrane like musicians, but yeah. they were good. And yeah. that was popular music and people were making a living playing instrumental music and not all of it was bad. A lot of it was quite good. I mean, eventually it sort of got, got formalized into something that was not very interesting. Yeah. But it was yeah. interesting when people like Sanborn and the Yellow Jackets and, right. and you know, Herbie Hancock and, and whoever else yeah. was delving in that. There yeah. was a lot of wonderful bands and a lot of great music, and it was very popular. So you could say, well, now look who we've got. Well, we have these great artists. But, I mean, when I interviewed Kurt Rosenwinkel for the Jazz Festival uh -huh. two years ago, uh -huh. the question I wanted to ask him, and I, and I didn't, and I wish I really wish I would have, and I had it, if I had it written down or not, but I wanted to say, Kurt, when I was young, Al Demiola made a record that sold. He was a popular, he was the hot new guitarist, yeah. and he was 21 years old, and his record sold 750,000 copies. Amazing. Okay, now you're the hot new guitarist, because yeah. Kurt arguably is the most important yeah. youngish, and you're 40, Yeah. and your new record hopefully will sell 14,000 copies. Jeez. Where do you think we're at? Yeah. So yeah. people can say, "Oh, a lot of that music was crap, or whatever." In the in the, uh, but uh, it, people were listening to it, yeah. and that was employing musicians, and there was energy behind. It. Boy, the jazz police sure came after fusion. I was because I, I was I was working as I was a working you know music journalist in that era, mm -hmm. and you know I, I I was a defender, I was a supporter, right? You know, right. but geez. People came after fusion. Well, I mean, that's in jazz. That's where you're, 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 you're your own worst enemy, I think. Yeah. When you, when you know, when you, it's sort of like you know, it's it's well, it's like we were talking about earlier, which we won't repeat on the air, but sort of cannibalizing your own, your own stock. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, and, and I've, part of that was Winton. I think the influence Winton had and this new you know, tradition. If you go back and listen to that stuff that everybody criticized about, about Winton Marsalis when he first came out. Right. If you go back and listen to it now, it sounds pretty good. What Winton played? Yeah. Well, Winton's always been great. Yeah. But he was yeah. so, you know, there was used to be in Downbeat the argument between Winton and Herbie. You know, they had to be, you know. So I think people like Winton really hurt the, the you know, the possible popularity of jazz. And, and, uh, yeah, it doesn't do any, I don't, you know, one thing that keeps you going is it doesn't do any good to be no. negative about anything within your field or any other field. Well, and, and, and so, yeah, jazz has enough of a struggle without cutting off its own nose despite its Well, face. there is, there is a reason that we don't write, we don't have bad reviews. Right. Well, in Oregon Music News. First of all, we don't do a lot of reviews. 
And most right. of the time, they're previews. And why would you preview something you don't you like? Think it was good, right? You well, know, good to begin with. No, I hear you. And and yeah, yeah I mean, I think we need, you know, it, 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 we need to we need to be we need to be honest. But but the notion of fusion music. Right, the jazz police is basically what you're. Is, is yeah. about all you need to say with that. Yeah, yeah, really. Excuse me. I mean, that's because the jazz police. I mean, that in itself is sort of a bad concept. Yeah. So you came up and you were playing a million notes, right? Yes, and yes. I'm doing it again. Are you? Yes. Ah. I lately, and Dave Captain, the great bass player, was at my gig the other day, and I saw him at Lewis and Clark He goes, "I can't believe it. You're doing just what you said. You were playing as fast as you could." He goes, "It was great." Yeah, I came up playing a million notes. And then everybody said, don't play a million notes. And so then I stopped playing a million notes. And I don't play as many notes as I did, but I've been playing really fast lately. Why? Because virtually no one else can. Ah. And, uh, ah. you know, at some point uh, you realize that, hey, this is something I can do. And, uh, and it is its own musical thing. And uh, why the hell not? I mean, yeah. it's, a great, it's a great skill. And, and uh, it uh, is. it's sort of a blessing. I mean, I didn't work on it that hard. Mm -hmm. and, but 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 it's the same as the jazz police. It's like people saying, "Well, don't right. play so fast." Oh, he plays too fast. You know, there's always a criticism of right. something. Right, right, I mean, right. It, unless it's the hip thing of the day, and you know, the emperor has no clothes. Back back in the early '70s, I was doing a, a I was doing a TV show in, in at Maryland Public TV, and we had a guy uh, who was a classical music uh, uh, critic, who was a guy named Cal Lampley, who had co-produced Miles Davis on Prestige years, you know, decades before. But so I had Jean-Luc Ponty, speaking of fusion, he was in the studio one time. And so Cal goes, gets, his, gets on his high horse and goes, Mr. Ponty, you went to the conservatoire in Paris and, and all that. And, but but why, why do you play the electric violin? And so Ponty just looks at him and goes, because I love it. Ah, nice. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right, thank yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, but that's what you're always sort of up against. Yeah. So I'm playing a million notes. People like, you should leave more space. You know, I've had people tell me that all the time. You know, and, and at some point you have to sort of say, look, it, I'm st I've been doing this. I've made a career of this. I'm still surviving. Yeah. I can do this thing. I should do it. Dan Duval was out at the gig the other night. And he's yeah. like, he goes, you would have made because I still have the same. Because I think John McLaughlin would have been proud. So, <laughs> well, he got criticized for playing too many notes. Who did? McLaughlin used to get right, criticized right, for playing exactly. too many. Exactly. So I mean, so the thing I, is, here's the thing: you can play too fast and not play well. Right. But you can play too fast and play brilliantly. I mean, that's right. the thing. I don't you know, know it's I'm playing it's brilliantly, not, but I'm but I'm enjoying well, just letting it all hang out not, because why yeah. not? It's not how so, fast; it's how good. Right. And you so know? I'm I'm uh, I, so I'm. Yeah, I've been doing that, and although in in certain groups, then in other groups, I'm still striving to groove yeah. more and leave more space. I'm, you know, it's always an open book on what I'm trying. To, I'm trying. It's always changing. In my mind, it's changing every month. Yeah, but it must be fun to, to 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 go back to that. It is fun. I'm, it's not that I ever got that far away from it, but it's fun to yeah. just let it all hang out. Yeah, and yeah. and to sort of go like you know to say do it to say you know to heck with you guys. I'm not gonna you know. Yeah, I'm not worried anymore. I'm not. I don't care who comes in that door. I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. You know who does that, and and, and the thing is, he he doesn't he never plays anywhere anymore. Is the great Leo Nocentelli from the Meters? Uh huh. He plays like that now. Mm -hmm. And you can I saw their I saw their reunion at, at Jazz Fest a few years back, 
And you could tell, the, of course, they, you know, they never got along anyway. Uh-huh. And they just they could get back yeah. together every 10 years right. or so just because people wanted to handle. see them, right? Right. And you could tell the other – and Leo would like – he just played these solos really fast, and you know it was and terrific. But you could tell the other guys in the band were going, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> right. Well, yeah. So you have to have the right guys in your band. You do. Or you can't pay attention to other people. I mean, it's you know, life is short, so play some notes. I don't know. So I've been yeah. So so in response to the you when you first came on the scene, you played a lot of notes. Yes, and I'm doing it again. Yeah. Although maybe not as many notes as I did back then. But yes, I played a lot of notes, and I've yeah. I've played guitar for a living for 35 years, playing five nights a week. Uh, so it's worked out pretty well. Did you dis- when when did you pick up your first guitar? Well, I first started playing when I was six or seven, just learning some chords. Uh-huh. And then when I was 11, I got my own guitar, and and I've and I've played almost every day since then. I mean, there have been very few periods where I haven't played for a week. I mean, most years don't go by where I would not play for that. Three days would go by without me playing. I almost would never do that. I mean, I always am playing a little bit, and I always love it. I've always loved it. Yeah. I'm teaching a lot of lessons, and even while I'm doing that, I love it. And yeah. So I'm lucky. It's this thing I've loved to do. Well, you're playing so much, and you're teaching so much. Do you actually have time to practice? Uh, not as much as I'd like, but uh, uh, I want to practice and write more. My teaching at Lewis and Clark is. Uh, over two terms that last about 28 weeks total. So there's a lot of time when yeah. I'm going to have more time coming up. And I'm also teaching a class at Lincoln High. Ah. And that I'm teaching a guitar class that's uh-huh. been just uh, – I've done it now for – this is my second year really doing it. And we've got it really working well. And that's really fun. That's like at 8.15 in the morning till 9.45, <laughs> twice a week. And 30 kids holding guitars wow. and me in front of them teaching. Are you teaching them jazz guitar? Uh, the, the top three or four students, we work on jazz type stuff. Yeah. Uh, but most, a lot of them, it's just beginning and Uh a lot of it, it's sort of cultural. It's like everybody had to write a blues, you know, Uh they had to write a blues lyrics Yeah. and, uh, you know, woke up in the morning, you know, my hair wouldn't sit right. The kids write, or, you know, they're sort of their kids, you know, my homework wasn't done or whatever. Just have them write a blues. I have them write about their favorite musician. I have them present their favorite song and we slowly but surely learn guitar. We learn scales. We talk about improvising. We learn theory and I just sort of make it up as I go. Although now I've done it enough, I can kind of do it. Yeah. But so that's, and that's, uh, that's been really fun. That's something I've never done before. And so, um, I will still be doing that even when Lewis and Clark gets out, but I'll have some more time and I do want to do some more writing and some more practicing. Uh So if we weren't doing this and you were actually practicing today, what would you be working on? Oh, that's a great question. Most of the time when I practice, I, I'm writing music or trying to write music. Uh Um, if I was practicing, um, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of times, one thing Kurt Rosemichel said that was really interesting was that he learns to play, his practice for learning to play is by having to play the songs that he writes. Uh-huh. And so if I write songs that are more interesting and more complicated, then I'm playing those songs. Uh-huh. So usually if I'm practicing anything, it's more advanced scales. Uh-huh. And it, But it's stuff you end up using less which is sort of unfortunate. So you have to write songs that have them in it uh-huh. or play with people who write that kind of songs. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I, if I had some time, I'd like to get together with different people that I don't get together with. Um, uh, oh, I have another group, the one with Alan Jones and Damian Erskine. Oh, yeah. And we're playing this Monday at Jimmy Max. Uh-huh. So 8 o'clock, uh-huh. Alan Jones, Damian Erskine, and myself, which is a really, That's, a really exciting band. Those guys that are is virtuals, a very exciting band. Yeah. And so that band is neat. So that's another band. 
that plays my music. Um, but so, yeah, I would be... You could bring anything to that band. Yes. You could, uh, anything. Yeah, and, it's good, and it wouldn't matter how you thought it was going to go. It might go somewhere different than you think. So it doesn't really <laughs> Is matter Is that okay you with bring. you? Uh, it has to be. So that's good for me. So it's good for yeah. me to play with Alan. Alan and I are good friends, and it's good for me to play with him because he's not going to do what you want him to do. Yeah. He, and and, and, and uh, some of the time, I mean, he likes to mix things up. He likes mm -hmm. things to be unpredictable, mm -hmm. and I like to, things to be under control. So we're a good good pair. <laughs> it's a good combination. Then Damien's just trying to play the heck out of the bass and keep everybody happy. So yeah. he's right in between us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's jazz, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That, that is jazz, and that's yeah. what Alan's about. Yeah. And I'm sort of almost more about control. I'm almost more about something that's more <laughs> pop. So it works. That's a really fun combination. I like that. <laughs> um, so uh, – so you when you when you were eleven, you just understood that that was it. That was well, yeah. Was, I wanted to do it, and, and you and and I sat there you, and I played you, the guitar, you, and you just could. I just well, I took a few lessons, and I watched people play, and I yeah. hung out. People showed me things, and I hung yeah. out at a guitar store. Yeah. I hung out at Lake Oswego Guitar. Did you? Yeah, I'd ride my I'd ride my bike down there every Saturday. And I would just sit in there all day and sort of play the guitars. And guys would come, Steve Bradley, uh -huh. some of the guys around town would come in. And then it became River City Music. And I'd go in there and Elvin Bishop would be there. And Cal Scott was a guy who was a Lewis and Clark graduate, uh -huh. probably 10 years older than me, who was a really good guitar player. And Cal and I would play. And he was kind of figuring out some Joe Pass. And he'd show uh -huh. me. And it was like really wow. the way that people learned. Because now I have students who show up and I have some very serious high school students and they're very good i mean they can really play yeah and uh they can already play and one of them can really really play mm -hmm. and the other ones you know and it's so they're and then i'll have guys at high school students who show up who are just bright kids who aren't super serious about playing jazz but they know everything i mean kids are so smart these days i mean young people know so much yeah. They are so, so when I was doing it, I would spend months and years figuring things out. And yeah. they, they sort of just know that. Oh, well, the whole history of music is available to you now. Exactly. And, and the you whole know? history of playing. And well, that's a great thing. But the yeah. bad thing is, is that people don't go out and watch it. Yeah. People, the young people. So right. players don't go out and watch. Players, well, why should I go watch you know, Dan Balmer or Dan Duvall when I can watch Wes Montgomery? You know, I can hmm. watch George Benson. Why should I, why should I watch, you know, uh, hmm. Storm or whoever else? All the good, good, good guitar players in town. John Butler. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of mm -hmm. guys who play great. Uh, why should I go see that when I can watch John McLaughlin or I can see that Al Demiola Paco de Lucia concert? Yeah. I can see yeah. Larry Cor I can see, like, you know, why go out? Well, you should go out because that's more. I mean, I've always talked, tell this at workshops. You should come out because that's real life you know yeah. that's where you see the skills you need that's how you see somebody you know see these guys dealing with this little club and you know uh -huh. crammed on the stage you know sure you see west montgomery playing in holland of course it's yeah. a great rhythm section and yeah. he's the greatest ever so yeah. of course it's good yeah. but go see your local guy playing at the coffee shop and the guy at the drunk guy in the corners telling him to turn <laughs> down you know see what life is really like yeah and yeah. see if you got see if you could hang you know, see what we're really doing so people, they are have the whole history of music, but they're missing often this organic component of the of the of the of the learning by watching and the learning by playing with all kinds of different people. When I grew up, I we 
we somehow all found each other. Yeah. When I was 18 and 19, I was playing with George Mitchell and Phil mm -hmm. Baker and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and Tom Wakeling and Jeff Cumpston and Dave Captain, we, Chris Lee, we all found each other. It was now it's kids have, you know, the, the people at their college or they don't, they don't interact yeah. with other people. They're not jams. Kids don't go jam. They don't. So we're missing mm -hmm. that component. We've got all of this, mm -hmm. but I yeah. think there could be more of the kind of yeah. down to earth yeah. meeting of, Hanging out and playing and jamming and connecting. Must be great to still be playing with with people you've played with your whole life. It's kind of amazing. It's it really is amazing. And and yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for. That's one of the things I've really started. Real, I mean, when I was in the Tom Grant band, when I was thirty in my late twenties and thirties, I started to realize. I started to realize, you know, this is really lucky. You better appreciate this. Yeah. And. Uh, Playing with Tom, we had a lot, a lot of success. And uh, when you have success, you tend to overvalue your own yeah. importance in it. And everybody right. in all of his bands did. Uh, everybody always thought that they could do just as well without that band. And yeah. I knew that wasn't true. But mm -hmm. people would leave the band like and form their own bands. Like, we're going to be big like Tom. And, and they weren't. The Tom Graham band was very successful because of the the pieces in it and uh -huh. Tom out front. And uh, I realized, you know, I better appreciate being on, being here at the bottom line in New York. You know, I better be glad really? that I'm playing here at this jazz festival in, yeah. in, uh, in, uh, in Florida, playing in Amsterdam with Tom. And, and I really mm -hmm. appreciated it. And when I played with Diane Schur mm -hmm. uh, for four years, even though playing with Diane could be challenging, um, I never for a second, did not appreciate, wow, okay, here I am playing in Paris. Here I am in Madrid. Oh, here I am in Mallorca. Here I am in Moscow. Oh, I'm in Japan again for a week again. Yeah. I appreciated it. And so when I'm playing and I look at Mel Brown behind me, who's not a guy I played with at all when I was coming up. I mean, yeah. I wasn't in any circles with Mel. And now I've been playing with him for 10 years, two of his groups. And, and he's like, you know, a close a, a guy I have just a huge amount of respect for. Yeah. And I look back and there he is, 70 years old. Yeah. Playing like that and uncomplaining and gracious and gracious to the audience and gracious yeah. to the band members and always playing with a great spirit and attitude. Yeah. I am grateful. And when I look at George Mitchell and I think I was telling you the story, I put George and I have played so many gigs and we've played gigs, you know, in terrible conditions and in great conditions and gigs that, you know, paid great and gigs that paid poorly and gigs that were a drag and gigs that were, and, and, uh, Gigs in hospitals and gigs in you know wards where people are struggling. And, um, we were playing in an auto body shop the other day on Wallet, <laughs> and and George and I have played so and so. And this is a benefit for a thing, yeah. a guy, a new organization that where they train people out of jail to be mechanics or something. You know, yeah. And so they have it yeah. at this auto body shop, uh, yeah. reception. And and George said to me, he goes, we're in this auto body shop. And he was serious. George goes, have we played in here before? I mean, that's how many gigs we played. That he th and, and we may have. I mean, that's how much we've played. We've probably played an auto body shop. Yeah. So to play with George is great. Um, it's a sea captain and, and Phil Baker. I played with Phil Baker and Mike Horsfall. And play with Ron Steen and, and Phil Baker. I mean, those, I mean, Ron Steen was a big help when I was young. You know, he helped me get my very first gigs, you know, to play with him again. I mean, he got me on with Count Dutch and, John mm -hmm. Jensen and these other people. I mean, to play with Ron after 
38 years or 36 years, that's a real blessing. I mean, you've got to appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to appreciate getting to do what I've done consciously since my late 20s. Yeah. Yeah. The people and the gigs and the work and the money. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, for music, people who, who, who appreciate music, listen to music, that's a, that's a, that's something that, that people admire. People admire, of course, talent and expression and all that, but they also admire listening to people who know each other so well and 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 know how to play with each other and know what to, and know how to and 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 um and know how to listen and know how to anticipate and know what's you know it's 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 a uh, it's it's marvelous for the for the music consumer to 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 watch that well and i think and that's the kind of thing that you know that you would know but a lot of people wouldn't know but they feel that yeah. like i always tell people i go every drummer in town can play, you know, swing, but there's something about when they see Mel do it mm -hmm. that they like it. You know, there's something about the sound of his drums or the feel mm -hmm. or his spirit, and that's the stuff that people don't know why they like what they like, but they like it. And it's that yeah. same thing. People hear a band of people who enjoy playing together. And when I play with Mel, people all the time go, Well, we can tell you guys are having a great time. Yeah. And I always say, They say this about Mel's bands. Or we can say you got. We can see that you guys like each other. This, they say this about Mel's bands. People don't say this about other bands that I'm in. But people say this about Mel's bands all the yeah, time. Yeah. And I always say Mel would not have it any other way. I mean, that's sort of a Mel Brown thing. Yeah. A lot of bands, you know, people don't care if guys don't get along or if they're kind of edgy on uh -huh. the bandstand. But Mel really embodies that. Enjoy, you know, be happy, you know, be gracious to the people around you. You know, that's. You know, that's a male. Is that something he expresses, or is that just something that emanates is. from him? Yeah. And he doesn't, no, he, Mel doesn't express that sort of thing yeah. uh, verbally, but you can tell, you know, he's the leader and he's having a good time and yeah. he's treating the audience with respect and he's respecting the music. You better do it too. Uh -huh. And, uh, and, uh, and, and not all leaders are like that at all. Uh -huh. And, uh, Mel is uncomplaining. And, uh, you know, that's a good quality in a musician. Yeah. yeah. So at any rate, I've learned, I've really come to admire him. And, uh, and, but it's exactly right. It's like you, what you're saying is that people, for some reason, they'll be what they like. They may not know that those yeah. guys are really comfortable. They may not be able to see that, or they may not know that they've played together for years or, or that these are, but, but that's what they're hearing. They're feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, how do you, the, the different, musicians relate to audiences in different ways. Um, some don't care. I, I was I was telling somebody else today. Uh, I interviewed Keith Jarrett one time, and, and I said, "Well, what, what do you think when when uh, when people buy your album and take them home?" He says, "I've never thought about that." <laughs> um, and, you know, and you know, some you know, Miles turned his back to the audience. It was known for that. Sarah right. um, is known for reading the audience. You know, and even, you know, uh, I was talking to him about um, when, when, or I guess I was talking to Stan Bach or somebody from the Septet about, you know, when Thera would get up and read the audience to find, to, to, to discover what it is they might want that night, you know. And how do you, how, how do you do, what, what how, how do you r relate or, you know, or do you? Well, 
I, uh, if you come in on a Monday night and you see me pass the hat, have you come in and seen my wrap that mm -hmm. gets our tips? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes on Monday nights we will get hundreds of dollars in tips huh. and that helps the band. Yeah. Um, and I do that by cajoling and joking with the audience and mm -hmm. I have all these little things I say that are my kind of ways to get people to contribute to the band. Yeah. I've always believed, I mean, this is my own personal belief that I'm trying to get people to, to listen to something, especially if I'm doing my thing, I'm trying to get people to listen to something that they may not be ready for, or they may not be that into uh -huh. and anything I can do to bridge that gap. Yeah. I'm going to do. And so, and I will, I would like to, I, I want the audience to like it. I yeah. mean, I guess on this level, I'm not, um, for my bands, I want the audience to like it. I want them to come back. I want to work again. I want the club to make money. Yeah. I want to be able to pay the band. And uh, so I've played with a lot of people who don't care mm -hmm. or who, who put the music first. And, and I've seen people put the music first and have the audience completely reject it. Yeah. And I've seen people just very serious about the music who don't interact with the audience, but it still gets through. People yes. go, I can see this is very serious. Right. I sort of feel like given my personality and my comfort with um, communicating and talking with the audience. Yeah. For me, I like to explain what the music is about. So I'm, when I play like a church, a lot of times I'll have a concert and it's not a lot of times, but when I do or an outdoor park, I'll say to the people, you know, this song I wrote for Jim Pepper, he was a mm -hmm. saxophone player and yeah. he lived here and, and, and his music had country and folk influences and he was a, great artist but a very difficult guy and, and uh, somebody who was, who was very intense you know so this was this song you know this song well if we never meet again you know I wrote this song when I was reading a letter late at night so I go a long ways out of my way uh -huh. to let the audience know I want them to know what the music is about yeah. I want them to know that we are trying to connect with them and uh, uh, and I think that's why my bands in large part have been popular uh, is not just the music, which I always think is high quality, but that, you know, I'm trying mm -hmm. to reach them. I'm mm -hmm. trying to reach mm -hmm. the audience. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's partly because I think I like pop music so much and pop music reaches the audience. And so, yeah. Yeah, and I think in jazz music, we're already asking a lot of the audience. And, uh, and especially, you know, in my circumstance, if I could be, you know, Bill Frizzell and not have to say anything. I mean, he usually yeah. doesn't say anything. Right. And, uh, and I think he may be a shy person. You might know him better than I do, but uh, he seems like a quiet person. He's quiet, very thoughtful, very quiet, soft-spoken. Well, I, I introduced him at the jazz festival in, in the Newmark Theater a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. And I had this, you know, of course, so I had this rap about how when I was a young guitarist, you know, I was lucky to be in the golden age of guitarists. And, yeah. and at the time, Stern and Matt Demiola and McLaughlin and, you know, one yeah. person that, that we all love, you know, and Bill Frizzell and is definitely was at the, right at the head of the class with those yeah. guys. And, and uh, you know, that's, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, I think he was sort of shocked by this introduction. Oh. <laughs> so I walked off the stage and he just like hugged me. Yeah, and I yeah. Think he was that, just that like, makes that makes perfect you know, sense. I was to just me. like, I, you know, he wasn't like, thank you or wow. That was no, he was just that, like, give me a big hug. But I know he knew what yeah, I was saying. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And um, yeah. so anyway, I'm an effusive person, and if the critics had loved my records, like Bill Frizzell's 
and I, you know, because there is an artist. If you are, if the if the industry buys into you, then you you're there. Yeah. And if they don't, you're not. So, for example, Esperanza, our own Esperanza, yes. who is talented and lovely and and deserving and wonderful as they come. Mm-hmm. I always like to say, you know, Esperanza, with the with the Grammy and with the you know with all of the stuff, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, um, she could show up in anywhere in the world and play the biggest concert hall right. out of the blue. Yeah. And other people I've played with, like Karen Allison, yeah. great singer, yeah. is trying you know, to get an extra night at the Jazz Alley in Seattle. Yeah. And Karen's been working at this for 25 years yeah. and uh, 30 years of hard, honest work and talent and quality output. And you're working hard at it. And somebody else can just be ten times above you in ten seconds. Yes. And so, and because of the industry, uh-huh. and because of timing, and uh-huh. because of uh-huh. the state of the world, and because of luck. talent, also and luck. Luck has so much to do. Luck. So with, my music yeah. and my recordings, uh, I never, I never had the industry behind me. I mean, I've yeah. had the city of Portland behind me, and I've had the Portland communications industry behind me and Marty Hewley was always super yeah. supportive and you're supportive and I, I can count on KMHD and I can count on yeah. people to look out for me but the rest of the world never went Dan Balmer is an important artist we must listen to him mm-hmm. and maybe I didn't do anything worthy of that I don't know I tried um, that but bothers it didn't. You. and I wasn't in New York and it bothers you no I don't mind but uh, sure I mean, do. I'm lucky. Well, no, I'm lucky, lucky to have what I have. Well, because I, because I mean, you have a great life here. There's no, no, no question life. about but, that. Yeah, but, but if, I was, if I really wanted that, yeah, I mean, you, there's a price you pay for that. Yes. And I wasn't paying that. And that is right. living in New York with yes. five other guys Correct. in a crappy place and yeah. spending hours looking for a parking spot right. and right. and probably ending up nowhere. Right. Uh, so I like to think I've ended up somewhere. Um, not that the other thing is not good. But so, but so. Um, so my so Bill Frizzell, if he shows up and plays, now he has an incredible body of work and he's a great artist. Uh, he doesn't have to say anything to the audience. Yeah. But I show up, I feel like I have to sort of sell it every time. Yeah. So that's my feeling. You know, and I think everything is a shtick. I mean, Miles turning his back—that's a shtick. Yeah. Me making jokes and being effusive and, and funny and kind of thought-provoking or whatever—that's uh-huh. a shtick. You know, each guy's thing is a shtick. The angry mm-hmm. guy is that's you know who's not going to talk. That's his shtick. Okay, yeah. maybe he's the angry guy, not going to talk, but that's fine. But it's yeah. still your shtick. And generally, the, the ones who are angry and don't talk are, are really are angry. What's that? <laughs> I think the ones who are angry and don't talk really are angry. Well, I'm talking to Chuck Israels. He said, you know, and one of my best friends for years is uh, Charles Mingus. You know, I always heard what a mean guy he was, but he was just like a big papa bear to me. So there you have it. Okay. <laughs> so there you have it. I mean, so yeah, guys could be angry if they want, but that's, but that also sells, you know, that's, yeah. you know, that yeah. the distant artist can sell if you're the right, right guy. Yeah. You can't sell if you're the wrong guy. Right. So, um, so I, that my shtick is that other people's shtick is not saying anything. Yeah. Uh, other people's <laughs> shtick is being angry and distant, not doing interviews. <laughs> Keith Jarrett's shtick is being a yeah. kooky like being, that, right? Being a dick. Yes. Right. 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 So everybody gets to have their, you know. So I feel if I want to do this thing and I want to, and I want to sell it to a bigger crowd, which I've always been trying to do. I've always been yeah. trying to play the same kind of shows yeah. that – 
that, that, that you know, Tom Grant used to pl played a lot of big shows, guys like Patrick Lamb, Michael Harrison, guys who are not necessarily jazz artists, sold a lot of, played a lot of big shows and sold a lot of CDs. Mm -hmm. I want to play those same kind of shows, but with a more complex music, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And so to get on that stage... Where the, now I'm presenting this harder, more complex music that's not as obvious and not as simple and calls on for more of the listener, then I feel like what I need to do is is is, yeah. is reach out to them. Yeah. 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 So I am that. So that's what I do. Mm -hmm. That's my presentation. Yeah. <laughs> now I've I've accepted that for years. I'm good at I'm good at talking. I'm good at getting the music to people. And, mm -hmm. What about recording? Are, are, is anything on the horizon? Well, you know, the, the recording business is, boy, God almighty, I that's know. such a leap of faith. I yeah. mean, you can make a record. Yeah. You can make a good record. And, and people could think it's a good record. I mean, people's relationship to buying music is just about done, I think. And not yet, but it's getting close. Unless yeah. it's a pop act yeah. where yeah. there really is a – uh -huh. And and it's and it's the, the lure. I mean, it used to be like if you would make a cassette tape off somebody's record, you know, that's a pretty big effort. You yeah. know, hook up the stereo to the back of the yes. tape player, and and here you're gonna have this crappy sounding tape. Okay, yeah. so then if you were gonna like take somebody's CD and burn it before computers could all burn CDs, you know, that would be hard. Yeah. And we're gonna borrow somebody's record, make some out, make a tape, and you know, then you got a computer where you could download their their CD and then you could burn your own CD. Yeah. That's less work. Well, now if it's just all out there on on Pandora. Yeah. If it's just all out there on one of the other ones, the, the yeah, big ones. Spotify. Really it's all out there. Everything is on Spotify. Yeah. If the Pandora will hook up to your car stereo, if the Pandora will go through your house and play on your TV, if the yeah. Spotify is playing on your house for nothing, yeah. and you can set up your own radio station. And set up your your West Montgomery radio. Yeah. And they're going to play all West and Kenny Burrell and Jim Hall and Pat Martino right. with, a, with an ad now and again. Yeah. Oh, you're all WC station. I put that on the other day. Yeah. Um. That's pretty easy. That's a lot easier than making a buying a cassette tape and then having this crappy reproduction of a of an yeah. album. Yeah. So it's almost like even if people don't want to be bad about, it, even if people go, well, yeah, I want to support these artists. It's almost too easy. I mean, now it's now it's now it, the world is set up to not pay for it. It used to be the world was set up to pay for it. Yeah. And then it was kind of like, well, you could kind of cheat it, or that was kind of illegal, or there's a lawsuit, or you shouldn't do that. Now it's like we've evolved to where it's it it's 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 you're told not to pay for it. Um, get you know Pandora and play it through your car. You know. Yeah. Once so so. I see bands make CDs and not be able to sell any of them. I just played with Randy Brecker three weeks ago. And he's going, boy, it's getting hard to sell a CD. I mean, so my groups on Monday nights, we play and we pass the hat. And we get a lot of people will put in 20 bucks. You know, yeah. It's like, yeah, this is a great show. And I'll always go, do you want a CD? They'll go, that's all right. I mean, you like the music enough to give the band 20 bucks, yeah. but you don't want a CD. Wow. I mean, this isn't like there was a $20 cover charge and yeah. begrudging. This is like, okay, yes, I choose to come up with my $20 bill. Yeah. Take that. Yeah. Do you want a CD? No, I don't. That's right. So uh, it's gotten hard for me because I, I, uh, you know, I have a degree in economics, and I like to see things make some sense. Yeah. And at some point, 
um, without, I always liked the fact that you had to try and make a CD that you might be able to sell a thousand or two thousand of them out of your basement. So you couldn't just make a CD of your art noise, although yeah. you could if you wanted. But I used to try and make a CD that would get played on KMHD, get played on Kink, and and would get sold at the stores. And yeah. um, boy, that's gotten gotten almost impossible to do. So you're basically, I so I do want to record. Go by Train came out with a record a few years back. Uh, I have a bunch of good new music. Uh, but it's hard for me to get excited about putting it down when I realize that getting it played or cre creating any kind of critical mass is almost impossible. And the notion of selling them has gotten so weird. So I'm glad that I'm the age I am. You know, I'm glad I'm in my 50s yeah. um, because I see young people put out these records and they are great, uh -huh. great record. Uh -huh. And they're going to sell, I'm literally going to sell 50 of them, 40, yeah. Yeah. 47. Why did you get a degree in economics? Uh, I liked it, and I was good at it. <laughs> and music I mean, classes were hard for me in college. I mean, if you're a self-taught jazz musician, the classical music education is not going to be easy. Really? Yeah. Because I mean, that, you know, I I didn't at the time I went to college. I didn't read music well. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't sight sing. There's a whole bunch of skills that yeah. are not about that are the accepted skills in classical music that are much different than the skills of self-taught jazz musician. And economics is easier? Uh, it was for me. Wow. Yeah, I'm good with math. You wouldn't, I mean, that, that doesn't, most people wouldn't think that. Well, most it was. people would think that a musician would, be would find music easier than economics. Well, I mean, uh, no. I, I enjoy the economics, and I still enjoy sort of knowing about it. I enjoy yeah. thinking about it. <laughs> uh, I would like to, I would, you know, I might have liked to have studied that more, I suppose. Uh but yeah, so the economics of the music business has changed drastically, and uh, and uh, I, I uh, you can't uh, you can't you can't spit it you'd be spitting into the ocean to be complaining about it. It's mm. just our world that's changing, as you you know from being in the print business or being in oh, yeah. in the ra in radio oh, yeah. and yeah. things that you're in, how different it is than oh, yeah. you know how many the Oregonian, for example, back in the day would have how many staff writers making oh, a decent living with insurance and I, I hey back then you used to be able to write you used to be able to I freelanced for the Oregonian for a long long time and you used to be able to sell op-ed pieces. That would appear on the op-ed, uh, you know, uh, op, you know, on the, on the op-ed page when there was an op-ed page, right. and there's no op-ed page anymore. Right. Um, and you know, they started, they started. Well, first of all, they stopped paying, and then they, they relegated them to the web, and nobody went. You know, uh, and that was, you know, I mean, uh, this, this, the, the opportunities for income for writers, <laughs> right? Not very good. Well, I mean, that's not very good. I mean, that's. You know, for for bands, yeah. CD sales used to be right an extra X number of dollars a year. And yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Unless you're very popular, I mean, mostly that yeah. would mean being a pop band. I can't think of hardly any jazz artists that's that yeah. are selling. Yeah. You know, it's a fraction of what it was. So when yeah. people talk, when we go back, circle back to earlier in our conversation, in the days of fusion, yeah, I mean Richard Elliott yeah. was selling three hundred, four hundred thousand records. Yeah. And David Sanborn was selling two or three hundred thousand records. The now, Record Brothers. Was that pop? Well, it was pop jazz. Yeah, but some yeah. of it was some of it was good. Yeah, some. Yeah, of it was but good. that was when pop had a good, wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad name. 
It wasn't bad to call it pop. Well, to call it pop jazz. This is right in between there. When, when pop culture got more respect. Well, yeah, that part of it. Yeah. I mean, at least in, our, in instrumental music. Yeah. Um, but the world is changing. You know, the world is always changing, and you can't. You, you would be wasting your time and your breath. To, yeah. to argue that, to, to argue with the way the world changes or to be bitter about or to complain about the way the world changes. Yeah. To say yeah. that yeah. it should be a different way. I mean, yes, the world should be a different way in many, many ways. In, right. In the way countries relate to each other and yes. the way the world is, money is, <laughs> the way the money is distributed. There's all kinds of things to complain about. Yes. Whether I can complain that much about how many CD sales there are, that's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's out of my control, and 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 better to better to put your energy into seeking new solutions. Yeah, and so that's what I always tell young musicians. I always say, well, you know, the music that's popular is electronica music. You know, if I was a young jazz musician, I'd be trying to find some way to interface with, yeah. uh, you know, techno music, because huh. that music has the momentum. Uh-huh. If those festivals are happening all over. Electronic music festivals yeah. are happening all over, just like smooth jazz festivals were happening in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. So I would be trying to figure out the next thing if I was young. Instead, I'm trying to do the best with what we got. And I'm really, this new band with the Caminos Cruzados with Nat Holskamp, yeah. it's really interesting. And playing with Trio Subtonic is interesting. Yeah. I still think my bands are, are, are super interesting and evolving and getting better all the time. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I can understand... If somebody had been in Portland all these years and they go, well, I've been watching Dan Palmer playing with his band for 34 years, I'd be happy to see Dan do something different, <laughs> and I can't blame him. Okay, well, we've got the jazz festival here. Yes. And um, uh, you're going to be doing a jazz conversation with Julian Lodge. Yes. What are you going to What are you going to talk to him about? Well, I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> I hope we're going to play some tunes is what I'm hoping. I don't know if he's agreed to that, but hopefully he'll play a tune or two. We'll I think that's more something. interesting. What's that? You have to talk about something. Yeah, well, I got, you know, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to ask Nathan Rizzo, <laughs> your writer, your your, uh, your your hot beat writer. There you go. Because I know Nathan talked to him for a long time. So yeah. I guess I'll just ask him about well, it. You know, I mean, well, I do what I did with Kurt Rosenwinkel, which was yeah. a fabulously successful conversation and has, you know, 20,000 hits on the web of our video. Yeah. Um, I'll ask him, just like we're talking here, like two guitar yeah. players sitting right. around. And I, right. a lot of times like, if we just talk you know, man to man or older man to younger man, yeah. uh, in the case of him and I, uh, we'll probably talk guitar, talk yeah. music, talk yeah. Yeah. that. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I hope we'll play, really. Yeah. Of course, uh, Oregon Music News is podcasting all of the jazz conversations that's a great thing. once again. Yes, that's a great thing because you know the last one when I did yeah. the interview with Kurt. Yeah. And you podcast it. Yeah. And then he wanted it edited. Yes. And then he wanted it edited again. I know. I know. It's the only time that's ever happened. I believe it. I'm it's sure. Never it happened. Was quite, I know. We 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 have we have podcasted dozens and dozens. <laughs> <laughs> of, of these jazz conversations and no one has ever the only thing that was even close was um uh 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 Winton's brother um Brantford yes we had to clear it with his management people they wanted to listen to it first because you never know what what Brad would what, what he's going to say yeah right. did they Brantford listen to it to say yeah and that was the and we didn't have to edit anything right they were, but, sure they were fine with it yeah that well enough said about that <laughs> I'm sorry about fun. that podcast. But yeah, so no, the Oregon Music News, that's great. 
yeah, help, and that's yeah. you know a great organ for yeah. dispersing uh, information. I just think it's a, I just think it's amazing that you can just go in and you know find Randy Weston talking about an hour talking for an hour about hanging right. out with felonious monk. Right, right. You know, and these guys, you know, I mean, already we had Gerald Wilson. Uh, was it last year or the year before? I forget. But anyway, but he's gone. Right. He's gone. Right. You know, he was great. And uh, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm glad we have these things. And I'm glad yeah. we had you here today. Well, I always enjoy getting to talk to you. And, and yeah. like I say, you're one of the guys, you and Linda Rock and uh, Marty Hewley and people that, that the music community knows it can count on for help <laughs> at, <laughs> at, at spreading the word or at being or having our backs. Yeah. And uh, that's priceless. Yeah, well, I'm going to let you Bible. finish your sandwich without talking. How about that? Uh, I hope we'll still be visiting off the air. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Tom.